Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast, brought to you by summersf1.co.uk, making F1 tech easier to understand. Today's episode is called All Aboard the Hype Train. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two Rumpets, a very excited Matt Trumpets, who has named every single topic in the show notes, Cubitzer. Possibly I did that as a joke, or possibly not. I take it you're quite excited. Don't worry, we will get to that. Excellent, excellent. I'm, I'm, I feel like Mercedes, you know how they've been preheating their hydraulic oil? I, I, I'm fairly well lubricated by an earlier visit to the pub. I'll just say that. I have never done that on this podcast, and anyone who says otherwise is a liar. But Sunday is prime pub and barbecue season, so I'm not going to judge you for taking advantage of a fine summer Sunday. This week, we cover some Formula One tech with Summer's F1, and we look at silly season, power units, and drivers, and we also make a few bold predictions. We are an independent podcast hosted by MissedApexPodcast.com. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. This show is safe for work. We're keeping it clean here, so you can play this with kids in the background or at work. We were going to have two guests with us today, but due to a miscommunication with Chris Rainbow Sparkle Stevens, we are stuck with having to settle for only Matthew Summerfield, assistant technical editor at motorsport.com. How's it going, Summers? It's good, apart from my technical inabilities this evening with my Microsoft Surface. Yeah, but if it mugs an upgrade on you 10 minutes before the start of play, there's nothing you can do. We'll catch up with you later. Thank you, everyone, for joining us in the chat room. If you want to join the live chat, find Missed Apex Podcast on YouTube and click the subscribe button, and then there's a little bell next to it. If you click that, you'll get a notification every time we go live. Let's move on to the big, dirty news. Dirty News. Mid-season testing, Matt. You haven't really got much to say about this, have you? 
know. I mean, possibly the only thing I might potentially mention is only the best dramatic narrative Formula One could have next year if Mr. Kubica does indeed come back and drive for Renault. Yes. And who'd have thought this about six months ago? We thought it was kind of an impossible dream when they were talking about him testing an F3 car. People say, well, yeah, he's just doing that and that's fine. And then he tested an old Renault and we wondered what he was up to. And people said, no, this is just Renault either being nice and helping him because he's part of the Renault family. And it's kind of a bit of a, hey, get back in. We remember you. We remember what you did for us and, and come and drive a car. Then there were other people who were saying, Renault were just riding the media train and getting a bit of free publicity by putting this dream scenario in front of us and only to ultimately take it away. But he has now tested a current generation 2017 car. He hasn't done terribly. It's very hard to tease out how well he's done exactly, but he certainly looks like a Formula One driver now. Yeah, well, we do know that he did about 140 laps or basically two Grand Prix in a single day. So his fitness is not really at question. We do know that the um, that his fastest lap of the day, we don't know what his fuel load was exactly, but there was a very interesting interview in Portuguese media in which his engineer said his actual fastest lap was red flag. So he was out on older tires and apparently fueled for more than just a one-lap run, according to that one particular article. And given that half the people I know are now currently in Portugal, I will give that, of course, great weight. But I mean, but the, the, Sorry, I was just saying this was predicted by Joe Sayward when we said, surely we're going to be able to see in testing how well he's doing. And he alluded to the fact that there's so many factors we don't know about different tires. Was it a different track temperature? Did they have all the engine modes available that they had in the previous weekend? So it's really hard to tease it out. And it's been amazing, all the different viewpoints and hearing things from engineers, hearing people from old drivers. It's it's hard to make out anything, really. Yeah, it is. And, and never mind, what parts did he have? Did he have new parts on the car? We don't really know that. But, you know, who does? Renault, no. And I would argue, dollars to donuts, that if we see him in for a free practice, he's in with a serious shot at having that drive for next year. Christopher Fonseca in the chat room says, who's got 1.5 thumbs and can still drive faster than Palmer? Oh, ouch. Uh, yeah. So Palmer must be sitting there looking like, um, feeling like the fish waiting for the, the bait to come down and, and hook him out with Formula One because everyone's vying for that seat, Summers. Ollie Rowland thinks he wants it. Obviously, Palmer would still like to get hold of it. There's other test drivers in the frame. And obviously, Robert Kubica is doing everything he can, even though he's saying he has to be realistic. He's driving, you know, for that, that place. Have you got any opinions on how well he did at testing? Well, I'd really like to see Kibitza make a comeback. I know it's one of those impossible sort of stories. And I personally think that there's more to the story in terms of the way in which that Robert is able to produce things for the team in terms of his feedback loop. So that's an important thing in terms of Renault and their ability to extract something from Kibitza. Um The other possibility is that we see him test or test or indeed drive for another team you know he's basically putting his name in the shop window so we're not only looking at the Renault situation in my opinion yeah and it's important to note uh, and I said it halfway jokingly but the dramatic narrative of his return to Formula One would be a bonanza for Renault sponsors never mind the sponsors he would bring with him 
and and for the FIA too, I think it would be it would cover them in nothing but glory because adaptive tech is a vast field. There's a lot of potential new eyeballs oh, coming absolutely. into the sport just through that alone. Yeah, definitely. Um, veteran driver comes back six years after horror crash with the will and backing and love of an entire nation is a better headline for Formula One than young Brit tries to prove himself against Hulkenberg. For sure, that is a story. But I still have a bit of concern about his physicality. Now, he's saying that he had no problems doing that race distance. But did you see him getting actually into the car, Matt? It was quite clear to me that he was gingerly nursing his right hand as he was getting in. So he clearly doesn't have like full capability of that arm if we would see him run an assault course, for example. Yeah, but by the same token, he would never have been on track if he hadn't been able to pass the FIA extraction, self-extraction test. And he did that with flying colors the day before he was uh, he, he did his drive. I don't know if you've seen any pictures, Summers, of his actual arm. I saw a picture of him in his T-shirt and it's horrific. It really kind of hits home how bad that accident was. And I'm wondering whether he's actually driving that thing, you know, one-handed with his right hand there as ballast and to make everybody feel better. Well, the the thing that Robert's been eager to say is that there weren't many adaptions made to the steering wheel. And those st- adaptions that were made are just adaptions that Lotus and Renault have used in the past uh, for other drivers, for other mechanisms, for the way in which that they needed to um, make themselves comfortable within the cockpit. So, you know, if he's able to provide a level of performance without ad- adaptations, like we've seen Zanardi use, for example, in the past, then I think you know at the end of the day the performance level should be there um but it'd be interesting to see what kind of adaptations could be made as well now you and me are around the same age summers so you would have been in your mid-20s when kubitzer was having his first shot at a formula one career matt would have been considerably older Uh, but i i don't remember there being as much of a hype train about him comparatively as there is now i know people thought he was good do you genuinely think that he has the talent to justify the amount of love and adoration he's getting and the willpower that's willing him into an F1 seat? Well, I think there's a lot to do with the narrative at the end of the day. This is all about um, let's get Robert back. Um, he might have had some potential, but he did have some results that I think fitted the frame in terms of giving him another opportunity if he does have the performance and the pace. So for me, I'm a bit of a, a fan in terms of wanting him to to, to succeed at this. Um, but on the other hand, I don't just want another older driver popped into a seat just for a bit of hype. Christopher Fonseca in the chat room says, don't forget he was leading the world championship when BMW decided to stop developing their car. Well, now, now, and he did have some good performances in that 2008 season, probably should have won Monaco, you could argue. But that 2008 Canadian Grand Prix where he took the lead of the championship was a somewhat scrappy affair, to say the least. Cars were falling off the road left, right and centre, and Hamilton managed to do the most glorious bit of pit lane driving where he just ignored the red light and slammed into the back of Kimi Raikkonen. And they were the two fastest cars on the track there. So I don't want to take anything away from him. I think just get a little bit of perspective. He definitely impressed against teammates, but he was never really up against anyone great. I was trying to remember earlier, just before we came on, he was, he was, that season, he was with Nick Heidfeld, or however it is you pronounce that. He was also with Petrov, was he not, in 2006, 2007? Is that right? And I can't remember who he was with after that. 
I'm sure the chat room will tell us in the mo- uh, in um in a minute. But what I worry about is that there were a lot of drivers of that era and of any era where if you cut their career short after five years, you could say, well, they were in the position to take that next step in their career, and they definitely would have done. If you're a fan of theirs, you know, you it's very easy to fill in the blanks and say they would have gone on to do great things. Because we could say that about Ricciardo now, who is a good driver, possibly a great driver, who is in danger of being swamped, you know, by his competitors and being unlucky and not getting the right seats or coming up against Verstappen's. Yet this is somebody who beat a four-time world champion over the course of a season. So if Ricciardo was to have his career cut short with injury now, I'm sure in six years' time, people will be saying, oh, yeah, no, 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 he he definitely would have been one of the greats and we should get him back in. I just worry a bit about us doing post hoc confirmation bias and making Robert Kubica out to be a lot better than he possibly could have been. Well, I think it's not about what he could have been. It's about what he can be now to Renault. And the problem for the young drivers is exactly what you pointed out with your faux headline. He is A, very, very, very good at giving feedback. And we know that that's clearly an area where Palmer struggles, as at this point he's literally starting with Hulkenberg's setup yeah. because he, because that's all he can do. And if he's got the same pace or better pace than Palmer, uh, again, from a marketing point of view, I know who I'd want. And it's not some young British person I've never heard of before. Well, you say that, but we watched F2 at the weekend and my son is now an Ollie Rowland fan because he, he watched Ollie Rowland going forward. And unfortunately, Leclerc was going back. I think he might have had a, an engine timing issue or something, something like that. But surely as British motorsport fans, Summers, we would really, we don't want a young driver's seat blocked by a 32-year-old who, frankly, at this point is as unproven as a young kid. Yeah, there there is that factor, isn't there? Is that you know that we want these up and coming drivers, and this these sort of tests, these in season tests, are all part of that as well. But I do feel that there is a, the potential to, for Renault to make huge gains having Kubica there for feedback, um, and that for me might be enough just to persuade them to take him over a younger and more inexperienced driver like Roland. And I'm going to have to call you out on the unproven. He's one. A Grand Prix and he's driven in Formula One and he drove in Formula One in 2008 when the cars again were much faster than the uh, F2 or the at the time the GP2 cars everyone every article I've ever read everyone I've ever talked to who has gone who has made that step talks about their first time in the car and just how different it really is you don't know what you're going to get you're going to get someone like Giovinazzi who looks fast but can't do anything but drive it into a wall. You're going to get somebody like Kobayashi who was thoroughly mediocre in Asian GP2 and steps into a Formula One car and ties Fernando, Alonso, and not. You, you just it. don't know what you're going to get. With Kubica, you know what you're going to get. He's been there, he's done it, and he has the experience. And it's not like he's not been racing in the meantime. He's not been sat at home on a couch playing Xbox. He's been out racing different kinds of cars and the fact that he's been able to physically reach a point where he's agile enough to drive one of these cars again just makes it that much better for Renault. frankly he could do just as good as palmer and the marketing alone would be worth it never mind the development feedback and that's a problem it is a problem for the young drivers but the problem is there's not enough places for the young drivers not that kubica shouldn't be in the mix 
No, you're right. Possibly they are two separate subjects, but you make an excellent point about free practice. If you see him turn up in a, in a practice session, I don't think Renault are going to put him in there to be humiliated. I think they're only going to put him in the real F1 mix if they think he can dice with Hulkenberg, because if he's not ready, if he's not on the pace summers, he will get found out by Hulkenberg. Yeah, and the interesting point is that Kubica has not been in the paddock since he left Formula One. He refuses to be in the paddock because he doesn't want to be part of that environment. So an FP session will actually put that to bed and it will mean that he is, he is ready and the team are ready to see him take that seat next season. All right, so I'll conclude. I really am not meaning to offend anybody. I'm just trying to put a bit of a realistic spin on it. He seems like a thoroughly likable bloke. He had his F1 chance robbed from him. I don't I don't blame him personally for competing in other motorsports and motorsports are inherently dangerous and it's just one of those things that happens. So from a personal point of view, I'd be very, very happy to see him in, see how he, he does and imagine if he picks up his first podium back in Formula One, what a day that will be, what a carnival of Formula One celebrations that will be. On the other hand, I think it's being overhyped at the moment. It's easy to look back with rose-tinted glasses. And I don't remember at the time, there was a lot of hype about a lot of drivers. There was a lot of hype about, you know, you have to remember the field that was around then. You know, Rosberg coming through, Hamilton just around the corner. Massa was being hyped as the next great thing. And not all those things worked out. If Massa never came back from the, the gear cog hitting him, perhaps we'd all be sitting here now saying that, you know, he would have been a seven-time world champion had he not been denied of injury. And we all know how that worked out. Massa, unfortunately, has beaten two teammates only in his entire Formula One career. Uh, but Matt, there was more to testing than simply Kubica, although you wouldn't think it. There were some real bright young sparks there. Yeah, and possibly the brightest of them all would be Charles Leclerc, who was a monogasque driving for Ferrari. And, oh, just only putting the fastest time of the first day of testing up on the board. And he is, what, uh, minus his exclusion, it's been six straight poles, but it was seven straight poles if you ignore the exclusion for using, was it a shim of the wrong engine material? So not something that's really going to give you a big performance advantage per se. Um, So yeah, he is someone you will almost certainly, I would say, see in a Formula One seat. And with Salberg doing the deal with Ferrari, it's almost certainly going to be a Ferrari seat to look for. And the question there, I suppose, is going to be, and maybe we should just shelve this for later to talk about silly season. The question is, what happens with the second salvo seat? Because suddenly that seems to be a bit up in the air. But I'll tell you who else we saw. We saw George Russell, who said the first thing. He said that the halo, interestingly enough, actually improved his visibility when there was low sun because it blocked it out of his eyes like those little flippy things that you can flip down in front of your windshield like a little hat so there we go we have we have we have our first advantage our first clear advantage for the halo driving into low sun better sight so there you go all you haters on the halo there you go uh we had um nikita mazapan uh for force india we had lucas hour for force india i don't think you're going to see either but they did both get their drive. They were promised. Uh, Santino Ferrucci is a little more interesting. He drove for Haas, and he has just stepped up from F3 to F2. And he finished ninth in his very first race in F2, which is pretty much a result, I'd have to say, 
And the fact that he's American isn't a bad thing either. And from a British point of view as well, as George Russell, it's very exciting to see Lando Norris, who seems to be uh, an entirely likable young man, uh, getting a chance to go out in a McLaren. So hopefully let's see good things from him. He was bothering the top of the timesheets at times. Yeah, he was. And, and Lando Norris, I, I watched the F3 race. I think it was at Norris Ring. And wow, the kid can really drive. If there's anyone I'd put up close to Leclerc, I think Norris would be that person. And it's going to be very interesting it's tough for McLaren right now because they don't have they don't have a quote unquote junior team anymore. What they're going to do with him yeah. once he wins the F2 championship. But do follow him on Twitter. Like he recently he won one of those junior series races and he just he just tweeted won it. And it just that kind of kind of dry deadpan, like not a thanks to my team and the support and everything. And just oh, we, we win together. We lose together. Just won it <laughs> so i do like it he does seem to have a nice deadpan sense of humor obviously we've got to look at things from a tech point of view in just a second matt only to say that um isn't it isn't it a shame trumpets that formula 2 formula 3 gp3 doesn't really seem to be covered in the podcasting sphere it's very hard to kind of get any knowledge or insight about those series indeed it is and it's tough because when you have people like pierre gasly who has no place to go but did very well in formula e when you have people like luca giotto or Nobuhara Matsushita, uh, people don't. They see these names pop up in the testing. They don't know where they're coming from. They don't know what their chances are. So it would be really great if someone would just like, you know, get it together enough to do a podcast and talk a little bit about sort of these feet or these juniors. Yeah, series. yeah, but Matt, you would need, you would need a podcasting team that had three producers and maybe 12 or 15 contributors, as well as an extensive knowledge of those feeder series. Ah. I don't know. I just don't think it's going to happen. Summers, from a tech point of view, how useful are these tests? Because obviously we as spectators can't really make too much of it. The temperatures are different. The engines are different. The track modes are different. The tyres are different. Everything's different. Can we read anything from it? Uh, well, obviously, the, the teams can read something from it. And that's what's the most important part of the test. What we read from it is fairly irrelevant to be honest um it's all down to what data can be collected um things like lando norris obviously putting in some sterling lacks for mclaren for argument's sake and having some reliability for a change on the honda power unit is always advantageous and allows them to collect some data so yeah it's all about collecting information um and obviously this allows them to push forward with the development of the car not only from an aerodynamic point of view but the power unit manufacturers will also be interested in the uh, results of these tests as well ray parker in the chat room has said quick teasing north american coverage of the feeder series is pretty much nil like i said you know my hands are tied until we can fulfill those criteria are you really saying we can do anything extra that we could do like missed apex extra what else have you got for us summers from a tech testing point of view well, I'd like to talk about a few things, to be perfectly honest, as usual. You know, there's always something to talk about. You're so, a talker. Should, it's should, true. Yeah. Should, should we talk about Ferrari, maybe? Yeah. And how on. they've had all of their toys taken away. Um, I don't know if this has kind of met anybody's uh, eyeline at the moment, but as of Azerbaijan, the uh, Ferrari has looked a little bit different it has. Um, in, ter- in terms of some of the aero parts. and. Also, uh, Ferrari have had uh, a bit of a te- ticking off in terms of their oil burning tactics. Okay, so let's uh, let's break this down. These are things that we have seen changes with in testing, are they, Summers? Because let's see, the, the first thing is oil burning. 
burning oil as fuel. People really were convinced it was Mercedes that were doing it, um, but it was, in fact, Ferrari. The other thing is that they had slits at the front that was allowing them to high to run a sort of Red Bull-type rake scenario, but it was in some way cheaty. Explain that in better words. <laughs> okay, so... Firstly, the uh, oil burning situation is more to do with um, Ferrari have had an oil tank taken away from them. Now, we all know that all of the engine manufacturers are working on oil burning because it's all to do with this lean combustion um, technology that they're using in order to make the, the fuel efficiency numbers. So they're all doing it just to very different levels. And Ferrari were working on a situation whereby they were burning two sets of oil um, and obviously that allows them to work thermally differently, uh, dependent on rev range, etc. And the FIA have come along and basically said, let's only let them burn one lot of oil. Okay, so people were thinking Mercedes were doing it because they have this magical quali mode. And in fact, we saw it in race trim where Valtteri Bottas in Baku suddenly could find an extra mode. He said, I need everything. Give me everything. And he was able to take Stroll on the line. And Stroll was like, oh, he got me. Kind of like, how did that happen? And I think that people thought that was the oil burning. Can you just tell us the difference between those quali modes, which the other Mercedes teams don't seem to have, and what Ferrari were doing? Okay, well, they're very similar things. Uh, basically, the, the oil burning situation is that they are using the, the oil as an additive to the fuel. Um, in order to allow them to to burn uh, the the fuel more for for more performance. In terms of Valtteri Bottas, that is a slightly different scenario um, because he was coming towards the end of a race and he was allowed the full ERS deployment as well. So what you would need during a race setup in terms of being able to keep the energy in the right situation, Valtteri was allowed to obviously extract everything all in one hit. Right. I don't want to jump ahead too much, but I was reading your recent and very excellent article on Red Bull, and you mentioned how they'd open the side pods up a little bit for better cooling. And one of the things that I've noted, and we were talking about pre-show, was how in Formula E, cooling and thermal management of their ERS is so critical. And one of the big advantages I'd say Mercedes has is they have the ability to extract more from the ERS because they cool it better and they manage it better with software. However, in a race, and we saw this happen to Hamilton, because they try and be so on edge with cooling, they only get so many laps with that quality level of deployment before they run into a catch-22 trap where they can't fully recharge the ERS and they start to seriously lose lap time. And I think, is that what you're kind of talking about there or something? Yeah, it's all about that thermal window so the 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 cooler you can retain the car the more energy and the more the ice can produce more performance for a longer period of time so those quality modes that we see and hear from ferrari and and mercedes are more or less to do with the fact that they're able to extract um, a better operating window lorenz rolograph two a's must be dutch says quality mode burns the motor life up so will they pay for that at the end of the season or at the end of the engine life stint? Yeah, that, that's that's basically it. So you, you have to pay the piper in some respects. You know, you use these quality modes, you use the life of the components. So obviously you want to use them in short, sharp bursts, and that's why they use them, tend to use them in quality mode and when they really need them in the race. 
We only use you in short, sharp bursts as well, Summers. What are you up to, man? We know that you are riding high with the giant juggernaut that is motorsport.com, still working under Giorgio Piola. Correct, yes. The legend of Giorgio Piola. Um, Yeah, it's as usual. I'm going to be doing lots of work with motorsport, even over the the close season. So obviously, um, in these next few weeks, I'll have some bigger articles, more focused on specific areas. Um, to to keep an eye out for those. I would know nothing about Formula Tech without you and without your articles uh, at Summers F1. And at least I have the the big kahunas to admit that. Matt pretends that he knows it all anyway, but it's really all from just reading your stuff. Uh, but Summers, no. To, to read those articles for that organisation with your name on it and then have you bring that to Missed Apex podcast is just such a big buzz, a big thrill for us. How's your personal blog site going? I love it when you do like your just, this is what Summers reckons. Ow, I'm unrestricted by my motorsport contract. I'm just telling you what I think, Luke. <laughs> uh, yeah, I wish I had more time to do those sort of things. Unfortunately, time doesn't permit. Um, yeah, it, it is a bit of the shackles off when I write for my own blog and I just say what I, I fancy and uh yeah I, I do do like doing those but it, it's a time factor unfortunately i have to spend time with you guys as well remember well you're not spending time with us in real life are you because you've reneged on your potential i'm gonna say it was a promise to come go-karting with us unfortunately you can't make it unfortunately not now work commitments won't allow it for those of you who can make it however to race alongside the likes of jeansy van jean who's a proper go-karter in whatever weight category he's currently in. Chris Rainbow Sparkle Stevens, who, if I don't beat, let's put it this way, I've, oh, there's been a lot of big talk. I do have to beat him. Uh, myself, I think Ryan Ferret Ferris just said he's going to turn up and do some go-karting. I, I want to see what kind of crazy antics he gets up to on a go-kart track because when you see him on the podcast, he's not awake the entire time. If that translates to podcasting, uh, to karting, I think it will be very, very interesting. But if you'd be interested in coming with us on August the 12th, that is this Saturday after the recording, we're doing an evening race. So turn up at seven or half seven at Daytona Milton Keynes and the kind people at Daytona Motorsport are giving you listeners a discount. So the normal £74 session you can have with us for £60. To do that, you have to call the number on the pinned tweet at SpannersReady or email me at SpannersReady at gmail.com and I can um, put, put you in contact with the right people. Uh, really, really kind of them to give us a discount. And I will warn you, I definitely had a cheaty go-kart lesson from Bradley Philpot uh, Rogue Racing in Aylesbury. And it is amazing summers to feel the difference of what a go-kart feels like when somebody has actually given you some little tricks of the trade. There was actual grip. I wasn't just fighting the thing. I could I could feel where the tires met the, the tarmac in the end. That looks that sounds a bit cheaty to it me. It is cheaty. Spanners. It's preparation is what it is. But, <laughs> but look, it would be great to to meet who, uh, whoever of you can make it. I think we've got 12 places booked at the moment. A few more people have said they're going to sign up, but there's plenty more more slots. It would be great if I could fill at least 20 seats there. So at Spanners Ready, look at the details there. Come go-karting with me. All right, so Matt teased the lead a little bit by talking about the Red Bull meaty update. I thought we already had an update in Hungary. There was an update in Hungary, and I think that's what we were were alluding to. Um, But they did have another piece post uh, race as well with uh, the test. Um, They've tested a new diffuser with a... 
slightly different outboard section. So there's a bit of a trend appearing um, with, with the teams in terms of the way in which that they're operating the, the diffuser on the outbound section. Um, a lot of the teams are starting to use what's what we're determining to be a tail. So using a, a section of the diffuser to create a rearward uh, flap. Um, but what Red Bull have done is they've arched the outer section of their diffuser at this test, um, just reshaping um, the diffuser area, probably in response to the update that they had uh, for Hungary. And so that, that, that update included obviously the the side pods um, that was the largest part of the update which was to do with the cooling element of the car um, there's some aero implications to that as well aero and they, everyone drink uh, aero let's have a drink aero I did, I did say flap as well <laughs> if anybody's playing the missed apex bingo I'm going to play chin chin <laughs> Right. So if we're looking at this Red Bull update, and are we really going to call this a B-spec car, number one? No, it's not. It's not what I would determine to be a B-spec car. It is a fairly substantial update, but frankly, the parts that they, they included in the Hungry update were things that I would have expected Red Bull to be running at the start of this season. The leading edge of the floor now has three strikes in a very similar fashion to what we've seen Mercedes use for the last couple of seasons allowing the airflow to be straightened before entering the underside of the floor and onto the diffuser. Um, the way in which they've changed their side pod layout and they've, they're have they starting to work with wing mirror mountings, etc. You know, it's all things that I would expect Red Bull to be pushing hard at in an aero formula. So basically what you're saying is it's like they just left a whole bunch of low-hanging fruit around and it, and it finally realized that it would benefit them to collect them. Yeah, essentially, because as we've said at the start of the season, the, the RB13 was quite a stark um, design concept. There wasn't much going on. And incrementally, they've built outwards from there. I think, obviously, they were severely hampered by the suspension um, clarification at the start of the season, as we've talked about in many shows in the past. But from an aerodynamic point of view, they, they're starting to load this car. And obviously, this will bear fruit for next year's car as well, because they start they start to see the results of what they want to achieve with the RB14. Do you remember? I think on the last tech time, you said, "Now Red Bull aren't going to be winning any races this season." And then the very next race, obviously somewhat fortuitously, they did collect it. But if um if they can get some of these updates up and running, they're not the kind of team who has to say, "Right, uh, we'll just concentrate fully on next year's car and abandon this year's car." And since it's relevant for next season as well, can we expect these upgrades to put them in the mix and ruin the party a little bit between Hamilton and Vettel towards the end of the season? Yeah, clearly it's going to put them in the mix. Their biggest problem is the fact that they're down on power when they're compared to the Ferrari and the Mercedes teams, um, especially when it comes to quali mode. Uh, So obviously, you know, that's going to put them in fifth and sixth at best if the other drivers don't miss a beat. So yeah, it's all really dependent on which circuits they're going to as to where they will will line up and just to clarify on that um renault had a more advanced urs that was withdrawn if i'm not mistaken and last i heard is 2018 we're not we're not going to see an update on that till 2018 due to reliability issues so is that real that's realistically that is as big a problem for Red Bull as anything arrow they're going to stick on the car. 
Yeah, basically they're, they're restricted by what Renault are offering them. And unfortunately, they're no longer what you would determine to be the works team either. So although they share a sort of symbiotic relationship with um, the, the power unit manufacturer down in Viri, um, in terms of obviously collecting data, etc., they're not the frontline team anymore. That That is Enstone. And so, you know, they're, they're slightly left as a second thought as well. That's bad, man. Can I ask you a question about underpowered cars obviously the honda is a bit underpowered but mclaren didn't do too badly in hungary and someone was saying to me i think it may have been a neil that had they had a renault power unit that would have been enough to put mercedes sorry to put mclaren on the third row does does that sort of ring any bells with you yeah it's a difficult one isn't it because we've had this discussion before about integration and the way in which you're able to extract performance from the power unit as well as your chassis so just because you bolt in a mercedes which is the de facto best power unit it doesn't necessarily make you the best okay hypothetical um, then that they can extract at least as much as red bull can out of a renault power unit i ask this because it looks like honda might be going to Toro Rosso, perhaps, having lost the Sauber deal, which leaves McLaren kind of free, if you like, to possibly go and get themselves a Renault. And if they did that, would we see them consistently fighting for top six, the old traditional points spectrum of Formula One? Yeah, but then that brings in another problem because, as we've just mentioned with Red Bull and their deal with Renault, they're no longer a works team. And yes, they're a customer, but they don't have access to the sort of power unit that the works team has. So we've talked about this with Mercedes and Ferrari in terms of having the quali mode and that mode usage during a race. So if McLaren went McLaren-Renault, it's kind of a, a step forward, but also a step back. Um from my perspective, at least. Yeah, here's, maybe maybe Red Bull should have been a bit nicer to Renault and not provoke them into starting a works team. Here's what I love. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to health care, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. 
<clears throat> now, a lot of people have been very down on Honda, but I think it's important to note that essentially this year's power unit was a brand new power unit for them. And it's taken them approximately half a season to get on top of their reliability issues. They, they said no reliability issues at Hungary. And in fact, we can look at Daniel Ricardo and FP3 and see that in fact, Renault were having slightly more reliability issues, although to be fair, more engines, more cars. And Red Bull does its own thing, so not quite the same. So Honda in half a season have gotten on top of reliability. I am going to be laughing if their spec four engine is close to Renault and come next season, they actually have exceeded them. And McLaren has given that relationship away to Red Bull for a Renault that still can't get on top of their Urs issues. And and Alonso has decided to stay with them as well. That would be even funnier. (laughs) (laughs) I, I will be laughing. And I think McLaren need to be very, very careful. Right now, they have a works relationship with Honda. However dubious the product is in most people's eyes, Honda have clearly made progress this first half of the season, and it makes their decision all that much tougher. I disagree. I disagree. I think you're you're damning them with faint praise. You're saying they aren't breaking down around every other corner. Therefore, now is finally the time to stick with them. Some have settled the argument between the two of us because I think Honda is poison in Formula One. You don't want that lump in the back of your car. Move on, whatever the cost. Well, I'm kind of sitting on the fence here because I oh, agree with both sparkles. of you in different measures. Oh. <laughs> we may as well get Chris on if we want a lack of opinions. Okay, but I'll give you a reason as to why I don't believe Honda have made the progress that Matt believes they have In if we use Hungary as the benchmark because the power unit problems that Honda have been having tend to come when they have to push the power unit to its limit at full tilt. Now, they didn't have to do that in Hungary. So this specification of power unit, although they have obviously the, the, the fourth version coming always shortly, um, perhaps isn't as reliable as Hungary makes it out to be. It's just that it worked very well at that particular stage. Just like the a sterling lap that Alonso put in in Barcelona, for argument's sake, that put him where he shouldn't have been. You know, the, these are sort of problems that arise from thinking that the Honda's where it isn't. I, I do believe that they have massive amounts of potential and they have made massive strides, but I'm still airing on the, the side of the fact that if you want an immediate result, the switch to Renault may give you what you're looking for. But long term, I think Honda may win out over Renault. It just depends on who they end up with, whether it's a McLaren or whether it's a Toro Rosso. I'll take that bet. Honda, terrible for eternity. My tenor versus yours. Trumpets? I'll take that bet. Absolutely. Cool. Absolutely. I, I, and I would just say, this progress they've made over half a season has mirrored what Renault have made over almost three seasons. Okay, so you've got... Sal- understanding- oh, sorry, mate. We look like we've got a bit of a lag there, Matt. We've not done that for a while. I do apologize. I was just going to say, because I take from my starting point the fact that they essentially had a new power unit beginning this season. And I think that's that's the important data point for me. I, I would agree with Summers. Maybe Hungary isn't the full test of the power unit because of the peculiar nature of the track. We'll probably get a better idea at Spa. But even still, they had fewer reliability issues at Hungary than Renault did. All right. So in the show notes, you put stuff about Sauber. Summers, I find it hard to care about Sauber, apart from the fact 
that they have dodged the bullet of Honda. Well done, Sauber, because that was going to be a disaster. I could see them trailing three seconds a lap down and having a sort of caterham type team being a moving uh, speed bump around that. And it, no one wanted to see that. And they would, they were, they're, they're lame enough as it is at the moment. But as it stands now, they're going to go forward with not just a Ferrari engine, but a current Ferrari engine and Ferrari drivers, it's seeming more and more like, so we can be a bit more optimistic and actually care what they're doing with their side pod or how much aero they can gain. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, the, the, they made a decision going into this season to use a year-old power unit. Now, whether that was a, from a financial aspect or whether it was actually from um, a technical uh, perspective is on the fence, really, um, because this update that they brought to Hungary is really a refinement of the cooling aspect of the car. Now, if they knew what they were doing with last year's power unit, surely that would have been baked into this year's car. So either they have some correlation issues in their tunnel, which is similar to what Red Bull have reported in terms of the extra width of the front tyres causing instability in the uh, wake that it generates and the way that it affects the side pods, or they just didn't quite understand that that generation of power unit from, from last year. And they were already starting to cut their ties with Ferrari. So, you know, it, it's challenges for a team such as Sauber, not only from a financial aspect of being able to keep up with those ahead, but also of making these critical decisions that allow them to gain performance over a season. Cool. Okay. Let's drop the tech there for just a little while. Uh, Rob in the chat room is asking, so is Ericsson gone? We'll get to that in just a second. Ray Parker is asking about the importance of Formula E and that how that will help uh, the development of energy recovery, so ERS, and we've got a few questions like that. But before we do that, let's talk a bit of driver market stuff. So let's start with Sauber then, because we've been talking about that, and Rob Graham has asked, is Ericsson gone? Does this affect his backing at all, Trumpets? Because I'd like to see the back of Ericsson, not because he's like a terrible person and he does have fantastic hair but you can't help but feel he is only there for money and it would be much better to see him replaced with somebody like Leclerc who is looking genuinely fantastic in the junior series is this going to come true or are we stuck with the Swede forever well I think what's a foregone conclusion with the Ferrari Sauber deal is that Leclerc will be in and Verline will be out the question over Ericsson's seat is a little more interesting in that it's clear that Longbow money and his money and his sponsors are very interconnected. So it's all going to be down to the deal that um, Vassour did with Ferrari for those engines and exactly what Ferrari demanded. And my suspicion is as much money as Ericsson brings to the team, I think you're going to see Giovinazzi Leclerc next year at Sauber. Giovinazzi and Leclerc. So they're going to accept that one car is going to constantly be in a wall? Pretty much. Because when it's not in a wall, it'll be driven faster than Ericsson ever did. Oh, God, that's going to be the next website, www.hasgiovinazzicrashedtoday.com. <laughs> At least it won't be in the sea. Fair enough. Yeah, we can finally relegate, uh, not relegate, we can finally promote Sauber to a land-based team. Uh, who else interests us in the driver market? I'm really, really keen to see what is going on with Toro Rosso's driver lineup, because as you alluded to earlier, are they even a Red Bull feeder team anymore, Matt? I, th- I think I think they are actively trying to shed them as a feeder team. 
Well, we're a feeder team for, for Red Bull. If you're Ricciardo, where are you going to go? If you're Verstappen, you've just recommitted. Again, you've got drivers that are so good. Uh, who's going to? Yeah. Yeah. The problem with having a feeder team is that 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 presupposes that your drivers, the parent team, are only going to be there so long. Right now, they've got signs who's been there twice as long as they used to say they would ever keep any drivers in the seats. And that's because there's not enough cars on the grid. There's not enough spots in open wheel motorsports in general. Who or was that? Who, that's coming through. Who was that Japanese driver that was testing for Sauber? Uh, Matsushita. Now, was he there in light of Honda potentially teaming up with Sauber? So if Honda now go to Toro Rosso, do we have a chance that they get their man through the door at Toro Rosso? Now, if you get a rookie in or a sponsored driver in, traditionally you want an experienced driver with him. Signs is looking elsewhere. So if Sainz does get that move to, say, Renault or some such outfit like Williams, you could end up with Kvyat being kept on just for continuity and then uh, this Japanese driver being kept on for the relationship with Honda. Yeah, you could you could absolutely see that. I don't know. I don't know that, that Toro Rosso would agree. Uh, you know, it's a question of who who's in the most difficult spot. I don't think Toro Rosso is in a difficult spot with regard to their engine supply. They could run Renault next year. They could go back to Ferrari if they wanted to. They've had relationships with both manufacturers. So Honda's got to bring extra to the table for them. And I think they'll have their choice of drivers. They very cleverly snapped up Sainz 2018 option. Any team that wants him will owe Toro Rosso a fairly large chunk of cash. And I suspect when you saw his comments... And this is not because I'm a Carlos Sainz apologist. Hello, hashtag 55. I suspect his comments were predicated more on, well, geez, I've been at this team a long time and I've clearly demonstrated I have something to offer and the way the team is structured. I'm not supposed to be here any longer. No, but it's a buyer's market, unfortunately, in Formula One. And they're not going to stump up a get out of contract free card when they could pick up drivers of similar talent who are who are wanting away who are begging for a seat uh, or like in the case of Perez coming with actually a boatload of cash indeed i mean so you're looking at Renault you're looking at Williams maybe if Massa finally moves on to his retirement that he should have already been enjoying and you're looking at Ferrari and again the driver market is ultimately predicated on movement at that seat at Ferrari and with Vettel putting his feet down and we all know how, um, or what's the right word, obstinate Mr. Vettel can be when he wants something and he wants it now. I think you're going to see Kimmy in that seat. And if Kimmy doesn't move, there's not a lot of places. And, and Perez, you mentioned earlier, is the best example of this. Because earlier in the season, he was all like, I'm going to go to Renault. I'm going to go to Ferrari. I'm going to go to, I love Force Indy. I love Force India, and I want to be there next season. And that was a remarkable U-turn. I don't As think I've, I've ever seen him take a said. corner faster, to be honest. <laughs> I welcome my current Force India overlords. All right, speaking of things that are dangerously close to retirement, Matt, what do you do to fill your days? I know that you are waiting for Spa to officially launch your album thing, but tease us. Tell us, tell us what it involves. You play trumpet. That doesn't make for a very interesting album as far as I'm concerned. You must have some friends along with you. Yeah, well, and this is the idea. And, and actually, I, I will admit, if you're thinking my performance today is a little bit off, it's because I had a business lunch that was mostly fluid. 
prior to today's podcast with a I friend of mine who happens to play the French horn. And should you be watching the Tonight Show tomorrow night, you just might see him playing with the roots. Yes, the idea is to put original music, music I've written, music my guitarist and music director have written onto an album and to invite some of the best session players in New York to come along and help us make some music. Because even I will admit, a full album of nothing but trumpet gets a little bit boring. So and, uh, yeah, we're gonna be we're gonna be trying to put that together. Maybe record next winter, release next spring, and I'll have the website, I'll have the crowdfunding site up and ready to go. I hope. And Mrs. Spanners is, by the way, already on standby, and we have alerted a London studio. Should you require any female vocals at any point, so do let us know. But look, you've got to follow Matt Trumpets at MattPT55. Did I say that right? At MattPT55 to see what he's up to. Very exciting over the summer, Matt. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of stuff going on. Uh, If you happen to follow my wife, she's just redesigned her website. There's free content available. Amanda Weaver, go look her up on the Googles and sign up for her newsletter, please. So exciting. Novels, music. (sighs) Got to go back to tech now. Somebody earlier I alluded to was asking about ERS. So give me a primer on ERS, because with all the Pirelli changes, with the DRS openy flappy thing, and with all the hybrid engines, we've kind of forgotten about when Kurs was the shiny new thing, and when energy recovery was the shiny new thing. We kind of take it a little bit for granted now. Formula E obviously does it a lot more. Uh, What role does it play in Formula One for idiots, a quick idiot's guide? Quick Idiot's Guide, it provides 160 horsepower to the driver as Spanners falls asleep um, for uh, as much as the driver can harvest the energy throughout the lap. It's taking energy from the um, turbo uh, through the MGUH and it can pass it directly to the MGUK or it can store it in the energy store. Um, the MGUK is what propels the car forward at a rate of up to 160 horsepower. And that obviously combines with the internal combustion unit. So we recover things from the turbo, which uses the natural airflow of the engine and some air from driving along a bit. Yeah. And the, the energy from braking and stuff. And so we can either use it straight away or we can store it. Who decides when that ERS gets deployed? Is that the pit wall or is that a driver with a button? Because with KERS, he had a little boost button, didn't he? So, yeah, the old KERS system, you you only had a very tiny amount of electrical energy. Um, We were 400 kilojoules of energy per lap. So that equated to about six seconds, dispatching it at 80 horsepower. Um, And the driver just literally very binary just presses a button on the steering wheel whereas with ers we have a situation where there are energy maps built in um they are designed by engineers and they work in line with what the internal combustion unit is also producing and obviously that then depends on the throttle application or how much is braking so it, it comes down to a number of rotary selections from the driver and then obviously his throttle and braking inputs Nope, didn't catch any of that. Can't wait to listen back with you podcast listeners. I'm going to assume that you covered that topic comprehensively and that no follow-up questions are required. Uh, how does that affect uh, the weight of these cars? Because all these systems 
you know, uh, are heavy. And in Formula E, where they decided to put all these systems actually had a huge effect. Uh, I think it was Virgin, DS Virgin got it very wrong and had a car that just couldn't handle for the season because they placed these things the, the wrong way. Is it a bit more on rails with Formula One where it all is? Well, you're kind of defined within the packaging limitations. So the turbo obviously needs to be attached to the MGUH in, in some way. Now, obviously, the way in which Mercedes have done that is to place it inside the engine's V. Other manufacturers have done something different where the MGUH hangs off the back of the power unit. So it must run along the car center line. The MGUK is part of the internal combustion engine as much as it sits under one of the engine banks, usually the left-hand bank in, in, in most setups um, but the the things that weigh the most are housed underneath the driver and that is the the battery cells themselves um, we're talking lithium-ion batteries okay the chat room is asking do you think formula e will help accelerate battery tech i suggest you subscribe to at, uh, e-radio show which is at e-radio show on twitter uh, find that on itunes or your podcatcher of choice we extensively and painfully talk about battery tech there and, and me and matt argue about swappable batteries uh, versus whatever fantasy he's cooked up this week uh, but summers let's go to tires because pirelli now they've realized i think that their tires are too hard and they're talking about next season instead of just making all the compounds softer they're effectively turning it up to 11 and having a super super duper ultra soft now i must be getting old because when pirelli tweeted that i was disappointed that nobody suggested the name ludicrous soft uh, or plaid soft see and i was going to go for flaccid family show but yeah <laughs> why, why are they making everything soft so the hardest one is going to be soft and then degrees of softness going down why did they not simply make the ultra soft uh, softer exactly uh, it beggars belief where they're going from a, whether it's a marketing perspective or a racing perspective i just do not understand and yeah i mean i would simply cut back the amount of compounds and make them more um, aligned to to the kind of racing that we need. The hard is far too hard, and we won't see it again this season. Um, and, and yeah, we just need to see those that that tire range come down significantly in order to enhance performance. Now, here's an interesting fact. I don't know if you caught it in the article, but apparently Pirelli said they homologated not five but ten compounds, including five backup. It was that, and are you aware? Was that just because they just had no idea how the tires would actually work with the 2017 cars because they'd only been able to use mule cars? That's essentially it, yes, Matt. They, they didn't quite have the data accrued to accommodate the, the cars this year. So they had a backup plan, uh, which is all well and good. If you get it wrong, then at least you've got a fullback position. Um, but uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see where they go next season, especially in terms of degradation, because obviously these tires are bulletproof this year because they are literally too hard. So, but I would say to you, I mean, if you're if we're going to look at tires from a technical perspective, the ideal solution for every track is to have the difference between compounds such that you could go one stop less, and in terms of your strategy, you're within spitting distance. Do you get to either run an extra stop with the softer tires or one less stop with the harder tires? And you're going to be with plus or minus two or three seconds on the same car because that's going to make that's going to give you strategic options. Whereas it seems like this year, the compounds they bring, the differences between the tires 
are such that everybody immediately settles on one strategy and only occasionally if your race is seriously compromises the other strategy actually makes sense yeah that, that that's basically it you know we we need to have some kind of difference in the the outcome of the race uh, to encourage split strategies contra strategies i mean look at the the allocations and they're all very similar um although having said that have you seen the the tire allocation for spa uh, Red Bull have chosen nine ultra softs in comparison to many other teams six. So you know that that will have some effect in in terms of their their strategy calls that race. Evangelos Eterocolitis says, but don't the hard tires? Go on. Are you correcting my? No, I said you said it right. Oh yeah, I'm, I, I'm God. Ah. I had to go super slow to do it. So, but don't the hard tires allow drivers to follow? each other closer because isn't it interesting how much we were all whinging and whining i think there was one good race in china or canada where they had four stops and everyone went yay this is brilliant let's have tires that disappear off a cliff at any moment and we and everyone has to pit uh millions of times a race then we had the chocolate tires and it got, went to the point they couldn't push well now we do have tires that they can push on and we have tires where lewis hamilton who looks a fairly reasonably fit dude is panting and puffing pushing hard so haven't we kind of got what we want? Why are we now complaining? Because that's our mentality, isn't ah, it? Right. Everybody wants to complain in the opposite direction. Ah, and Formula gets... One has made this mistake for many, many years. They've changed their, their tact based on popular opinion. And I, I fear that, you know, we're we're in a bit of that situation now with the tires. Well, I would I would disagree slightly. I like the idea that the drivers can push on the tires. The mistake was made in the, and that the tire compounds when they're brought to the actual racetrack and run for real lack the separation to give strategic options at each track. There's not a harder tire that's close enough to make it worth not running the soft tire. And there's not a soft tire that disappears quick enough to make you have to make that extra stop. And generally what we've seen because, and perhaps down to, the fuel and energy management in the sense there's no refueling and there's a lot of energy management to get the optimum time is we haven't seen the gaps between tires that are necessary to really give two similar strategies a shot at winning the race. Wow, a lot of words there from Matt Trumpets, presumably some of them relevant. Didn't catch any of them because I am watching the clock and we are soon running out of time. So I think we're going to wrap up with a few Q&As that Matt has collected for summers over the week. Personally, I would just like to say a big, big thank you to everyone who nominated us for the podcast awards. The voting is now closed, but we had loads of people get in touch saying that they felt we deserved such a nomination and they had gone ahead and done that. We really, really, really appreciate it. We will find out in a few days whether we made that slate and whether we get on there or whether we don't. We've been very, very heartened by the amount of people who've got in touch with us and said they've done it. So thank you very, very much, Matt. What questions have we got for Summers to end on? Well, you'll be happy to know that the first question is about the halo, that we've barely talked about at all. And it comes from Abhijit Gaia, who is a Patreon of the show from the Slack chat. This talk of making the halo an aero part, will it cause more safety issues, like another place for stuff to break off and fly off from? And so I think here he's probably referencing the fact that there's going to be, in addition to the 16 millimeter initial structure 
the, the teams will be allowed what I believe to be about 30 millimeters to make aero surfaces and or just frankly fairings in livery uh, to try and make it look slightly better. Hey, uh, trying to cover the flip flop. Um, yeah, that that's basically what they're looking to do. They're looking to negate some of the aero issues that are going to be caused by the the halo. Um, there's no getting around the fact by putting a structure as significant as this in that prime position in the car, it is not only going to have cooling issues, it's also going to have aerodynamic issues, especially to the rear wing. Yeah, and I had a nice chat on Twitter with Chris Medlin, who was at testing, and he said that I think they maybe ran it for two laps in a row uh, just to test the cooling effect. And I believe it it looked like it had some actual aero structure to it for the first time, at least from the top-down views that he uh, tweeted. Yeah, the the one that George Russell ran through the the testing in Hungary was V3, so that we've already had two different versions already. And if you compare the one that was run at this test with the one that Hamilton ran back at Spa last year, uh, from a top-down view, there was a significant portion more, um, let's say, cladding on top of the the halo. Um, trying to allay some of these aero and cooling issues. But obviously there was also a change to the middle spar. Uh, now that was something that the FIA wanted to test because they were tr- they're trying to thin down the main spar support in order to improve visibility before it gets onto the cars. Okay, so I don't think I've said this yet, but I'm really bored now of the whinging of the halo stuff and i I think it has chilled out and it has died down a bit because they've said we are having it so if i have to accept brexit and move on with a positive attitude surely we can do the same thing about the halo and there are some positives when you look at it and you say yes it's it's quite a big change so i can see people's concerns but when you actually look at side on view the halo is above the driver's helmet. So we haven't really lost anything from the driver. If you look at the hand movements, we haven't really lost any vision of what the driver is doing because all that really comes from the onboards. They switch to the onboards to say, how did that driver react to that collision? We rarely see the cars head on, which is the most obstructive view. And that's the least good view anyway, because Formula cars coming slowly at you head on is just about the least exciting part of the TV coverage. So I think that there's a lot to be positive about if we talk about these then being aesthetically worked on, which is the only real objection that we're kind of seeing right now. I don't think it's going to be quite as bad as everybody is fearing that. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Uh, They've decided to go with it. They will go with it. Uh, The problems that a lot of people I know had are more down to the process, both by which it was chosen to solve, both by which the problem was identified. Oh, agree. I agree. And, 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 and by which it was chosen, you can go and watch the video on the FIA site I've done. And I made it through about the first minute of the video. And I already had like seven different questions that they just absolutely did not answer. Like, why is this the best solution? Where is the data? Where is the data that you looked at to determine this was the most important problem to solve in terms of driver health and safety? Because I don't see it. No. I, I see it as being a very rare event that looks very bad on TV. Yeah, no and, argument here, Matt. No argument you know, here, man. It's they, the, the logic to get to it was wrong. I think it was the wrong choice. I'm talking about you know moving forward now. How is it going to affect? Because it's coming. So we can we can rail and cry about it all we want. It's going to be here for at least a year. Yeah, and I think the issues that Summers brought up are absolutely the the proper ones, which is that because of the nature of where it's located, it has an immense effect on the 
thing. And, you know, even at, even at looking at it with 30 millimeters, you're going to be a hard pressed aerodynamically to get the air into the air box in the same way. So are we going to return to the era where we had those uber tall air boxes? Yeah, the chat room's come up with some good stuff. I'll quickly get it in because uh, uh, Rob is saying, watch the Halo cause an unforeseen issue and get removed mid-season. And if we're knee-jerking, which is what we are doing with the Halo, let's make no mistake, I'm trying to be positive, but it was a knee-jerk reaction. Are we going to see another knee-jerk reaction when it suddenly restricts someone from getting out of a, a burning car quite quickly enough? Uh, Forsaken is saying the Halo is causing so many problems and issues in uh, helping in niche cases, which is what me and Matt are alluding to. One run, one lap, late in the season for the Shield, and the FIA has just been very silly in this entire process. That's Forsaken's view, not mine. I welcome our FIA, FIA overlords. And uh, Lorenz is saying they will mount a webcam to look at the driver's eyes. Yes, the Halo has given us another place to put a camera. Thanks for being positive, sir. And in answer to Matt's question about tall airboxes, the answer is no, because the height of the vehicles are restricted to 950 millimetres from the reference plane. So they cannot go any higher than that. And we can't have tall sail style airboxes, unfortunately, even though that might look quite uh, quite different with the, with the halo in place. Do you know what? Our chat room is smart. I, I love this chat room. Come and join it. Go on YouTube, search Missed Apex Podcast, click subscribe and the bell i do my best to update you on what shows are coming up but 8 p.m sunday uk time is a fairly safe bet what other questions did we get matt well we got from the chat room itself uh, robin van dyke wants to know if summers has seen the new indycar chassis and if so what are his thoughts on them? well i've seen the the pictures of the the new indycar layouts we've obviously got two types so there's the road course and the um the oval type um yeah they hearken back to a stripped back version of what we come to know from the indycar setups um i think they will bring back a bit more close racing because it's a spec series and you want you know they're using ground effects whereas the two manufacturers that built body kits in the last generation kind of went down the formula one route of using you know sort of parasitic um aero and that kind of robbed us of, of, of close racing so yeah I, i'm interested in what what's to come of it um i was in, more interested in the last generation of indycar body kits because of the sort of F, f1 crossover but yeah I, i'm interested I, I will continue to watch indycar as a series so if you think then if it becomes successful especially the road course racing do you think this is something that braun and his team might be looking at for 2020 they'll certainly keep an eye on it but the problem that we have with um that style of of racing is as we've talked about before it's a spec series so close racing is sort of an inevitability as long as the drivers are within um the the same kind of performance uh, operating window as one another um i'm not sure formula one can go down that route and personally i don't want it to be a spec series in terms of aero i do think there's some happy ground whereby we have these awesome aero machines and we have some simplicity. And I think that that's the kind of area that Ross Braun needs to look at when, when he's developing these 2020 regulations. Okay, I think we're going to have to draw it to a close there, Matt, unfortunately. Now, I've made some decisions that I haven't told Matt about, but we are shuffling around where shows will appear and where you can hear them, which does leave Matt with a bit of room 
in his schedule. Now, what I've been saying is I want Matt to produce a waffle cast once or twice a month. So here's the deal, listeners. I want him to be compensated for that. If we can get our Patreon to increase by $40 a month between now and now and the end of August, so that is three weeks to get the Patreon up that amount, Matt will commit to a waffle cast that he will produce additional content on this show. We are losing something. Don't worry, it's not Joe. It's the other thing. Uh, off our feed. So if you want waffle cast, you want to support the show, go to patreon.com, search for Missed Apex Podcast, donate what you can uh, as a monthly micro payment, and then just send me a message uh, with that to spannersready at gmail.com. Tell me it's because you want to see more Matt Trumpets. I certainly want to hear more of you, Matt. Well, that's not what you say in our WhatsApp chat. No, it's not. You're really annoying over WhatsApp, you smug git. Uh, where can people find you online? People can find me at MattPT55 on the Twitters. That's the best place to look for me. And you can always look for my wife, too, at A Weaver Wright on the Twitters if you're too lazy to look her up on the Google. Summers, where's your blog? Because I, I have faith that you will eventually start populating that and make it a world-famous blog that motorsport.com will eventually buy. Perhaps. Um, I'm www.summersf1.co.uk or you can find me on the Twitters at SummersF1. Can we plug on the next Formula E show? It's going to be a review of the series. We will talk about batteries till you're bored, but we have a very special guest joining us, Luke Smith. Luke Smith, who writes for Current E, who writes for NBC, who writes for everybody, will be joining us on Formula E on e-radio show wow no that's going to be worthwhile and in fact i have been bumped for that show in order for luke to come on i have tried not to take it personally <laughs> i've tried not i've tried not to take it personally but uh, i failed i have definitely taken it personally follow me at spanners ready and the show at missed apex f1 if you want to email me for any reason at all i love interacting with people over email spanners ready at gmail.com come go-karting with me look for the pin tweet on my twitter account Until next time, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Tech Time with Summers. Oh no, I hate the end of Tech Time. Ah, I know, I know this look from Matt now, the exasperated look that I've forgotten something. I'm going, what's he waving at? What's he telling me I've forgotten? Well, I know by now. I know what I've forgotten. Comment of the week. I could see that look in your eyes, that look of disappointment. Look at that idiot. He's fumbled around and he's forgotten it again. Yeah, we had we had a couple of good comments. I mean, it was thankfully we we weren't quite as busy as normal, so I was a little better able to keep up with it but if i missed your incredibly clever intelligent and witty comment i do apologize but running back through we had jbj 1138i he said ludicrously soft agreeing with spanner yeah it's good darren johnson would like to know i think in reference to summers who got fastest lap at hungary sick burn and along the same lines well that was actually a question that didn't make it into the show, I guess. But we'll skip. But he did say Renault should be very quick because, of course, their engines are designed to very chatelon. <laughs> uh, Christopher Fonseca 
who's got one and a half thumbs and can still drive faster than it's up to you buddy it's up to you it's between red bull and thumbs isn't it yes darren johnson said fridges be okay if switched off for an hour a little bit niche but still relevant and uh evangelos heraclitus said matt i'm greek and i find you loud (laughs) that's it give it to him you think so? Yeah. All right, Evangelos, Eteroclitus, you win for insulting me. Congratulations. Comment of the week. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 